my imposter syndrome is so deep and it's so intense and it goes all the way in so far that that is not enough for me. I need more. I need more help than that. There are all these little doors all around us and they lead us into growth and leadership. Often, your brain's fear will manifest as a lie that tells you you shouldn't do this thing and here's why and none of that is true. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Jessica. I'm the creator of this show. I'm a corporate strategist, a working woman, and it's so good to have you tuning in today. Today's a solo episode, and it's about imposter syndrome, and I just laughed a little because I've had such a wildly difficult experience with imposter syndrome to the point where when I hear people talking about it, I just get frustrated because my brain just goes like, no, but like mine is worse. Mine feels more real. Mine feels unfixable. Why is this so difficult? And today's episode is one of probably many times that I'll talk about it because it can be so debilitating and it can just really get in the way of you feeling confident and feeling good and it can create stress and all of those things are things that we want to eliminate so that you can bring out all of your power and all of your capability at work. So you'll probably be hearing me talk about it more than once, but I hope that what I share with you today is helpful. I'm going to be sharing a little bit more about my imposter syndrome story, which is, you know, I've been sharing fragments of it here and there because it's too big to fit in one episode because my imposter syndrome was so big. But I'm going to share a little bit about my imposter syndrome story. And also some perspectives on imposter syndrome that I think can help you because I think it's also really important as part of the exploration of, you know, this idea of feeling like, oh, what if I'm not good enough? What if I get caught? I think it's really important to also understand what it means to be in a challenging role and what it means to be resilient. And for me, it's really helpful sometimes to just turn my attention away from imposter syndrome and actually focus on the fact that what I do day to day is challenging and that it's normal when something is challenging to feel challenged and that normalization is so helpful for me and I think it's very grounding and very healthy so I hope it helps you too and with that I'm going to get into the episode and I hope you enjoy it today's episode is about imposter syndrome and it's been huge in my career and it was especially amplified when I made a career change. So I had gone to law school and thought the entire time that I was there in my brain that I was going to be a lawyer. And then right out of law school, I went into a career trajectory where I didn't have the same background as the people around me. And that made my imposter syndrome huge. And it's interesting looking back at it because I made it a lot bigger in my mind than it was. And I can even see looking back on it, 
the things that I told myself about my own capabilities that weren't even true, but felt so true at the time. And I'll give you a specific example in case this helps you start to see what might be going on inside your own mind when you question yourself or you tell yourself you're not good at something or you don't have the skills to succeed. Because when we do that, it feels so real. When we're experiencing imposter syndrome and when we're having an internal chatter that sounds like, oh my gosh, I'm not really good at this. What if someone realizes? What if I get a project that's too hard for me? What if I fail at this? When we're experiencing all of that, it feels very, very real in the moment. And our experience of it, we experience it as objective. We think it's true. That's why the imposter syndrome is so debilitating because it makes everything so scary. It makes it feel like our job could just be taken from us at any moment because the only reason we have it is that people don't know the truth about us, right? And and that intensity and the fear that it generates is because we believe all of this inner chatter about ourselves. And I find that when I'm in the thick of a mindset struggle and that chatter is happening, often I cannot see I cannot see that it's not objective. I cannot see that it's subjective and that it's my own skewed perception of myself. But it's much easier for me to see it looking back. And it's interesting because when I look back, I can see really obvious incidences of it. And I'll give you this example. And then I'm going to get into some thoughts and teach you just a couple of skills mindset skills and executive problem solving skills that I think will help you if you do feel plagued by imposter syndrome. My quick example, and I share more on this in episode 70, where I talk about how I made this career transition from law into management consulting, and I really struggled to believe that I could succeed in getting this position that I wanted that was it was very fancy and prestigious and competitive and I wanted it so bad and there was a part of me that wanted it there was a part of me that believed I could do it and there was a part of me that really didn't believe and those two parts were coming into conflict and in episode 70 I talk about that experience and encourage you when you are in conflict and you're doubting yourself to indulge the part of you that believes. But anyway, to go back to this moment in time where I was transitioning from the start of a legal career into management consulting, I came into this new business world with a story that because I was a lawyer, because, you know, while everyone around me had spent time getting an MBA, getting a business degree, and I had spent time in law school, I created a story that I wasn't good at business stuff and a really specific example, because sometimes when you get specific, it's so wild to see this stuff. But a really specific example was I told myself and I deeply believed this to be true. I am not good at numbers. I am not good at the number side of things, the financial piece of this. That is not my strength. And I went for so long thinking that. And because I thought that, it would play out in ways that made it seem like that was true. So I would never volunteer to do the financial analysis on a project because I thought I wasn't good. So I never generated evidence that I could do it. And it was only when I started to realize that I'm actually not bad at it that I started trying and then realized I'm actually good at numbers. Like, this is crazy. Not only am I not bad at this, I am good at this. 
And what's so wild, what is so wild, the things that our brain does, the irrational things that our brain does to us, they are bananas, bananas. What's wild is that when I was in law school, I got okay grades. Like, okay, I'll just tell you the truth about this. I was an A student my entire life until I got to law school and that crushed my ego so hard. And in law school, I was a straight up B student. It was very difficult for me to break the curve in law school and that was very humbling where all my life I hadn't had that experience but anyway I was a solid B student in law school and I would say that in terms of things that I had done academically the stuff in law school didn't come super naturally to me so I've had subjects that I've studied before in school where it was very easy to get an A it didn't feel hard at all it felt fun it just felt easy law school was not that way except for one class There was one class that I took in law school where I felt that ease and I felt that same feeling that I had felt academically before law school. And guess what that class was? Corporate finance, corporate finance. That class was so easy for me. And I got an A in that class. And just like all of my other law school classes, that class was graded on the same curve. So when I was in law school, all of these classes were graded on this curve and the way it worked was there was a very small portion of A's and not that many people would get an A. And so unless you were a standout student and really like at the top, not just like the top half, like the top small fraction, you were probably gonna get a B. And I remember having this moment of glory of like, oh, I finally did better than them. They've been beating me in all these other classes and I finally did better. But isn't it fascinating how my brain conveniently totally forgot about that and created this story that I wasn't good at this thing, even though I had very clear evidence that that for sure wasn't true. And the reason that I'm telling this to you is for two reasons. One is don't believe everything you tell yourself. I feel like sometimes we say like, don't believe everything other people tell you. Don't believe everything you tell yourself. And that brings me to the second part of this, which is that when you tell yourself you're not good at something, it will affect how you approach that thing. It'll affect the choices you make. It will affect whether you're willing to raise your hand for certain projects. So those stories will keep you from jumping into certain things that are not only going to prove to you that you actually are able to do the thing. Maybe you're not amazing at it, but you're able to do the thing. And they might prevent you from seeing where you actually have a strength because the fear that you're not good at it and the imposter syndrome is so debilitating. So I just want you to keep this in mind and just have this awareness (laughs) that we are constantly lying to ourselves. I'm working on a personal essay that I'm going to share on the podcast and there's a part in it where I'm writing about fear and how fear, a lot of times the way it comes up is through false lies that our brain tells us, which is I shouldn't volunteer for this project. I'm not good at this thing. And often your brain's fear will manifest as a lie that tells you you shouldn't do this thing and here's why and none of that is true. Okay, now I want to get deeper into imposter syndrome and I want to share some stuff with you that will help you change the way that you think about imposter syndrome and you think about leadership and you think about your career potential and all of the things that are possible for you. Because I think sometimes imposter syndrome doesn't get unpacked in a way that I think is helpful. So what I see a lot 
which is not the most helpful for me, at least, and what motivates me and what brings out my greatest performance is I see, okay, you have imposter syndrome. You think you're not good enough for your job. Don't worry. You're wrong. That's kind of what I was saying at the beginning of the episode, right? Like, don't worry. Your brain is lying to you. It's wrong. You're good. You belong. It's all good. And it's interesting because I do think that there's a component of that line of thinking, which isn't wrong. It isn't bad. It's just for me, it's not enough. My imposter syndrome is so deep and it's so intense and it goes all the way in so far that that is not enough for me. I need more. I need more help than that. And this is what works for me. And the best way that I can explain this is to draw a distinction between what it means to be competent at a skill and what it means to be a leader. And those are different things. Like, yes, leadership is a skill, but it's much more than that. And it's very different than other kinds of skills. Like, you know, there are skills like data entry and skills data analysis. My job is very data heavy, so that's what's coming to mind, right? Leadership is in a different category, and I want to explain why. So... I want to think about competence and I want you to think about competence. And here's how I think about competence. This is something that happened to me a few months ago. It's not dramatic, by the way, at all. It's just like a little story. But a friend of mine was having a party. She was having people over. And I got there before a lot of other people were there. So I was in the kitchen with some of my friends. And we were helping her make some of the snacks for the party. And I'm sure you've been in this situation where you're in your friend's kitchen and you get asked to help with something or you're at a party that's getting set up and someone says, oh, can you put the plates out? You know, like you get asked to do a task, right? And sometimes when that happens to me, I have this moment when I get asked, I have a moment of imposter syndrome come up in that little situation. And I think, oh, okay, like, uh, it's great that you're asking me. I feel flattered that you want to help me. But like, what if I put out the napkins wrong? Or like, what if I try to make this thing and I mess it up? We get a little, we get a little thing of imposter syndrome, right? Like not a huge thing, but just like a little like, oh, okay, like, I hope I can do this right. And then often what happens is you get the plates or you get the napkins or you get the food thing that you're making, whatever it is, and the person whose party it is tells you what they want you to do. So they give you the instructions. That for me (laughs) heightens the imposter syndrome a little bit because I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's their thing. I hope I get it right. Anyway, there's a point to all of this. So you get the thing, they tell you how to fold the napkins or put out the plates or make the hors d'oeuvres, they tell you how they want it, and then you start doing it, right? And at first, maybe you were like, oh, I hope I don't mess this up, but then you, let's say you're folding napkins, you fold one napkin, fold another one, and after a while, you have gotten the hang of it. So like at some point after like folding these napkins or making these hors d'oeuvres or whatever it is, you've done enough that you, like that little speck of imposter syndrome that you felt at the very beginning is totally gone. It's a distant memory. And you're kind of feeling like a boss with these napkins. Like, you know that feeling when you're like, oh yeah, I have this down. I'm in a rhythm. I'm going fast. This is good. They're looking good. Like you start to feel a sense of pride. And it reminds me a little bit of, it becomes almost like at a factory when you're doing the same thing over and over and you get really good and you get really efficient. That to me is competence. That is a skill that you build when you do the same exact activity over and over and over. 
and it builds confidence and it builds competence. Sometimes it can be very joyful. Even if you don't love folding napkins or love making hors d'oeuvres, there's a certain sense of satisfaction in that process and you feel that sense of competence. And in some ways, I think about that as the very opposite of imposter syndrome all the way at the other end. And the reason that I'm sharing this with you is because if you are someone who works in a corporate environment, who works in a business environment, who has a role that isn't 100%, you're repeating the same task over and over, folding napkins over and over, making an hors d'oeuvre over and over, that is not the dynamic of your job. So in most business settings, regardless of what function you are in, You are not just getting paid to do the same thing over and over. You're getting paid for your brain, your judgment, your decision making, and how you think. And there is not really an opportunity, especially if you're on a management track, right? Especially if you have a challenging role, which you probably do if you're listening to this podcast. There is no opportunity to become a competent napkin folder. That cannot and will not happen in any business role or any corporate role that feeds into a management track or that hires high performers. That's just not how it works. And so it's interesting because if you are in a role like that and your brain works like mine does or works like most other people's brains, You crave that security. You crave that feeling of folding the napkins and just knowing that you do it well. And that satisfaction can only come if what you do is literally the same thing every day. And that's a question you can ask yourself on the spectrum of doing the same napkin folding exercise every day. That's one end of the spectrum versus things being completely different and all kinds of difficult challenges coming up regularly. I would say that's like a CEO or an executive role. You fall somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. And as your role gets more senior and as you get more responsibility in your career, you move towards the more ambiguous, the less repeatable side of the spectrum. You move away from that repetitive, building confidence, building competence, and you move into the unknown, dealing with ambiguity, making decisions, navigating. And in my opinion, it makes total sense that if part of what you do includes an element of the unknown, includes things changing, includes curveballs, I am sure you have had a billion curveballs in your career. I feel like that's all we do, right? Is like, it's all we're doing is dealing with like the thing that's not working and figuring out how to make it work, right? If you have those in your career, Of course you would feel a sense of imposter syndrome. Of course, because you never have that repetitive mastery that you can have when things are simpler and more repeatable and more one-dimensional. And as soon as processes in a company become repeatable and simple, you may no longer be doing them anymore and you may be moving into something different. So I just want to establish this idea that it's pretty normal that when you're in a situation that is fluid, that is changing, that is not the same, 
it would be normal to have a thought of what if I can't do this? And so I want to not necessarily view this as always imposter syndrome, but simply a natural reaction to being in an intellectually demanding and challenging job or situation, which is probably the situation that you are in. And so I told you about the one end of the spectrum, which is you're folding these napkins over and over again. That's I guess I'll go with the napkins. That's what I keep going back to. I'm imagining origami napkins for some sort of party. That's the image that's coming to mind. So that's one end. Now, let me paint a picture of the other end, which is much more tied to what you are actually doing day to day if you are in some sort of corporate role where you have more complex responsibilities than just doing one simple, straightforward, repeatable task over and over. And the way that I imagine this, and this is very vivid in my mind because I've been doing a lot of puzzles in quarantine, the way that I imagine this is doing a puzzle. So I have lots of time on my hands with quarantine. And one of the ways that I kill time is doing puzzles with my partner. And I found that the 1,000 piece puzzle is a really good size of number of pieces for the puzzle to last for a few hours to keep us occupied. So we've been doing a lot of puzzles. And it's really fascinating to watch the mental journey and because I've done so many puzzles, <laughs> I've now like, I now like know my inner experience and what my brain experience is as I'm doing a puzzle. But here's what happens now with the 1000 piece puzzle. The puzzle comes and we look at the cover quickly of like, you know, the cover of the puzzle box. We don't look a lot because we like the fun of not like knowing exactly what we're putting together. It makes the puzzle way more fun for me. But we look at the box and then once we open the box, we don't look anymore at all. We just work on the puzzle. And there's this moment where you open the box and, you know, I always think in my head, like, oh, this isn't that hard. Like, I've, I've done these puzzles. Like, I look at the puzzles that are finished, that we've already done, and I'm like, oh, so it's going to be fine. And then we open the box, and it's like a lot of pieces. A thousand pieces is a lot of pieces. They're really small. And I always think, like, I always, for some reason, expect to open this box just like, the pieces will all be obvious. Like the second I open it, I'll be able to see exactly what pieces go where. It'll all make sense. I don't know why I think that's true, but every time I open the box, my brain has a moment of like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of pieces. I can't really see right now how they fit together. I don't know what this puzzle is gonna look like. And there's this moment of, wow, this is a lot, this is chaos, and we pour the pieces onto the table, and it's like you sort of start that early sorting of the pieces, but you're not, like, you don't even know what you're sorting. You can always start with the edges. That's like the low-hanging fruit. That's an easy place to start, but you're really disoriented. You're like, okay, like, there's a lot going on here, and for a while, for the first, you know, like, let's say it takes several hours to do a hard puzzle, for the first couple of hours, you're kind of just like bumbling around trying to figure out like what you should even be sorting and what you should even be doing. But as you stay with it, eventually the patterns start to emerge. And it's not even about finding 
what piece fits with what piece. It's about seeing the overall pattern of this puzzle. What are the different types of pieces? What are the different colors of pieces? How are things at a broad level fitting together, which informs how you tackle the overall puzzle? So it's not just putting pieces together, but it's gaining an overall view of how this all works so that you know where to direct your attention. Okay, I'm seeing a lot of blue of this kind. I'm going to keep sorting for blue. And it you don't you don't know that right when you start. Right when you start, it's a mess and there's a lot coming at you. And there's all these pieces and they don't look like they fit together. And the work that you do is a lot like that. And the imposter syndrome that comes up when something gets difficult or when you're starting a new project or maybe you're interviewing for a job that's a little bit different than your current one. It'll be different, you know, regardless of the title because all jobs are different. But you're at, you're in some place where you're being challenged, where you're at your edge, and where the thing that you're doing is not going to be clear and not going to be obvious right from the get-go. And a lot of what you do is going to fall into that category. And like I said, the more responsibility you have, the more that's going to happen. And so when you try to just like squash imposter syndrome and say like, oh, it's fine, I'm good at my job, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And then you have this moment where you open a 1,000-piece puzzle, a proverbial 1,000-piece puzzle in your work setting, and you feel overwhelmed, then you're going to tell yourself, oh, no, I shouldn't be feeling this way. I shouldn't be feeling stressed. Like, that, like I should know how to do everything. But no, you just opened the lid in these difficult situations. You're opening the lid to a 1,000-piece puzzle, and 1,000 pieces unconnected are falling right in front of you. Of course you would have a moment of feeling like, whoa, this is a lot. There's a lot going on here. I don't have an immediate clear direction. And just by understanding that that's expected and that's normal, you don't have to make it about you. You can make it about the puzzle. The puzzle has a thousand pieces. The puzzle is hard. The puzzle is complicated. You are the smart, courageous person who has been hired to figure out what the heck to do with this puzzle. And you will find yourself in these moments where the 1,000 puzzle pieces will be streaming out. You'll be starting a new project. You'll be working on something and you'll get feedback and you'll realize you, you didn't get it right. You have to change course. You'll be in a meeting where you don't completely understand what's being said. And in that moment, your brain's going to have a reaction of a 1,000 puzzle pieces pouring down. And that is the point at which you get to decide how you want to approach it and you really have two options and one option will keep you where you are will keep you stuck and one option will help you grow and build confidence and become an effective and powerful leader the option that will keep you stuck is when you see these puzzle pieces swarming out of the box when this thing happens at work when we're getting started on something big when things are going wrong when it all comes like showering down, you can say, oh my gosh, this is so much. This is me. I can't handle this. It feels so much because I am not good at my job. And you can essentially, like, you're not literally, but energetically running out of the room. 
it's like the puzzle gets spilled out on the table and you're like, nope, <laughs> this is too much. And you're leaving. You're not in it anymore because you're allowing the overwhelmed moment to convince you that you don't have the capability to sort through it when in fact you do. Your second option is to look at what you're getting, look at all the puzzle pieces, and ask yourself just one simple question. What is the one next step? You don't have to figure everything out or solve everything all at once. And it is the need to solve everything, the need to know everything, the need to have the answer, the need to feel immediate relief from being an imposter that creates all of the stress, that creates all of the drama, that creates all of the fear. Ironically, the fear of being an imposter, it reinforces itself because you say to yourself, oh my gosh, I'm so horrible at this. Look at all these puzzle pieces coming out. I need to prove that I'm not an imposter, but I can't because there's too many pieces. Now I know I really am broken. But that's not the truth because things don't get solved or done that way. Things get solved and your greatest power professionally lies in the decisions that you make during the moments where there is no clarity, where you do not have a full map of what's ahead, and where it is not clear how something is going to happen or how something is going to work. That is what leaders do in their jobs is they swim in a pool of puzzle pieces and they figure out how the heck to get it from pieces to a puzzle. And that is a skill, but it's not the same kind of skill as folding napkins. It's not a skill that you will suddenly master and feel so good and never have imposter syndrome again because you know how to fold the napkins. It's the total opposite. Every time you jump in the pool, you're going to feel the same way. It's going to feel new. It's going to feel difficult. It's going to feel scary. That's why running a business is challenging. That's, you know, that's why it takes a lot to step up into these greater roles and to really bring more of yourself because you have to be willing time and time again to dive into the puzzle and be in that space of not knowing what the puzzle is going to look like, not even knowing the best way to sort the pieces, but having faith that if you just take one step forward, which is, okay, can I find the edges? And then you start noticing color trends, and then you start sorting and subsorting and putting things together. What eventually happens is it goes from being slow to all of a sudden you have this point where you're doing the puzzle, and you can see it's like this light bulb ah, moment where you can see the picture of the puzzle and it was there all along, but you just put enough stuff together that you can finally see it. And when that happens, your rate of completing the puzzle goes from like so slow to like super fast and you can see the finish line, but only because you stuck it out in the beginning and stayed with it. So what I wanna offer to you is yes, Sometimes imposter syndrome happens because your brain is lying to you and telling you that you're not good at something that you actually are good at. Just like my brain told me that I'm not good at numbers because I didn't go to business school, because I went to law school. Yes, that is true. And be discerning and notice when that's happening. But also, sometimes the thing you're working on is ambiguous and challenging. And you may be internalizing that as something wrong with you when really 
No one knows what to do, right? No one knows what's going on. You think that the problem is you, but really it's this difficult thing in front of you. And the reason it is so important for you to recognize this is because those are your opportunities to step up and really show people what you're made of. And I like to think of those opportunities as little doors. And I don't know why. I don't know why I think about them as little doors. But kind of, okay, I don't know what's happening in my brain. I'm thinking of Alice in Wonderland. The last puzzle I did was Alice in Wonderland. But in Alice in Wonderland, there are all these little doors, right? And don't worry, <laughs> these doors won't like take you into wild psychedelic experiences a la Alice in Wonderland. But the way that I think about all of this career stuff is that there are all these little doors all around us and they lead us into growth and leadership and whenever something goes wrong whenever something's really hard whenever there's a big challenging thing happening professionally in the work that you're doing those are little doors and the people who see the challenging thing and open the door and say, oh, I want I want to be the person to fix that. They're opening a door to their own advancement, their own leadership, their own potential. And so these problems and these challenging things, while they're hard and they're difficult to work through, they're literally the exact things that are going to help you build the skills that you need to rise. And they're also the proof points that you're going to share when you share your story and advocate for yourself and speak about why you are ready for this new role or this promotion or whatever it is that you want in your career. They're little doorways. They're little portals to that next thing. So you don't want to run away from them and be overwhelmed by the puzzle pieces you want to be on the lookout for them. You want to have your eyes peeled for them and you want to move towards them and challenge yourself just like you would with a puzzle. Most of the things that we work on in business are very puzzle-like and you can approach them that way and anyone can do a puzzle. Even if you have imposter syndrome and doubt yourself, anyone can work through a puzzle because there are so many ways. There's trial and error. You can develop a hypothesis. I can nerd out on different ways you can solve different things. But the point is, it doesn't require some special sauce. It just requires literally belief in yourself and belief that there is a solution and that you have the raw ingredients in you to reach a solution even if you can't fully see it. And it is that belief that will propel you forward and it'll make you love puzzles. Even the moment of dread when the puzzle is falling down on the table. The moment of dread is where the growth is. And I go really deep into that idea on episode 67 where I talk about the moment of dread before you introduce yourself to a room full of people. But the moment of dread, it's not fun, it's not pleasant, but it's a portal to something greater. So when you feel imposter syndrome, I would encourage you to ask yourself, is this my brain lying to me and I'm saying that I'm bad at something that I'm actually good at? It could be that. Or is this hard? And if it's hard, do I believe that I can solve this puzzle? And that brings this episode to a close. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I hope that you are doing well and I hope this episode helped you. If you want to reach out to me just to say hello, to share any thoughts on where you're at or how the show has helped you or not helped you, I would love to hear your feedback. So I will put my contact information below in the show notes and 
I also wanted to let you know that at the bottom of the show notes, there's a section called free resources where you will find the Art of Speaking Up private Facebook group, which I would love to welcome you in there. You will find my free ebook, The Smart Ambitious Woman's Guide to Assertiveness in the Workplace. And you will also find a link to sign up for the Art of Speaking Up newsletter, which is about to go out. And so if you want to receive the first one that's going to be sent pretty shortly after this episode airs, which is going to be on the topic of being afraid to speak up and tackling the fears around speaking up, especially in meetings when you're afraid what you are going to say might be wrong or might not be good. If you want to get on the list for that, you will also find the link to sign up for the newsletter at the very bottom of the free resources section. I hope you are doing so incredibly well, and I hope that when that feeling or that thought of I don't belong here or what if I'm not good enough starts to kick in, I hope you can remember that it's normal to feel that way when things are challenging. And I hope that you don't make those thoughts mean something about you because they don't have to. We just sometimes attribute that meaning to those feelings and we can actually get in the driver's seat and take control and we can just decide that those feelings mean that we're working on something hard and that we're ready to rise to the occasion and push through it. So I hope that that helped. I hope you're doing incredibly well and I'll catch you next week for another interview episode. All right, talk soon. Bye.